for us. This is a family service for us. And so people of all ages have joined us this morning. Uh, some are seated on blankets. Some have cool light-up shoes that I saw a little earlier during worship. I don't know who that was, but loving the light-up shoes. Uh, if you're a kid in here, uh, I hope you got one of these. We're going to draw out some items from these bags during the message today. If you're an adult and you really want one of those bags, they're on the table as you're on your way in. They do have a treat in them, so by all means, feel free to go ahead and get one this morning. Uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series about an Old Testament prophet, and what is his name? Elijah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And as we've been looking these first couple of weeks at the prophet Elijah, one of the things that we've pointed out is how double-minded the nation of Israel was. Uh, they dabbled in the worship of God Almighty, but they were being drawn more and more into the worship of a God named Baal. They were following their king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, away from the worship of the one true God and more and more into the worship of Baal because they were told that Baal was a God who controlled the rain, brought fertile crops, and thus brought security and comfort in their life. Elijah, on the other hand... He stood in contrast to their double-mindedness. And what was he? He was single-minded. Single-minded in his pursuit of God. Single-minded so that God was always his priority in absolutely every area of his life. And there was nothing that was even a close second. And as the prophet of God, he had one message that he wanted to bring to the people. What was that message? He wanted them to leave their double-mindedness, to stop worshiping Baal, the false god, and instead be single-minded in their devotion to the one true God. That's the message that he wanted to bring to the people. But has he been able to bring that message to Israel? No, as a matter of fact, for three and a half years, we have seen that he has been unable to bring that message to Israel. The first week that we were in this study, we saw that for three years, he went and hid by himself by a brook at the Lord's command. Then last week, he goes up to Sidon, where a widow is taking care of his needs. There are no Israelites whose hearts he can turn up in Sidon. It's just a bunch of Baal-worshipping Sidonians or Sidonites. Sidonians? What do you think? All of those who think it's Sidonians, raise your hands. And those who think it's Sidonites, yeah, I don't know. I'm, okay, I'm going with Sidonians. And so Elijah, for three and a half years, has had this message that he wants to get to Israel. Stop being double-minded. Stop worshiping Baal, the false god, and instead worship the one true God. But he hasn't been able to deliver that message yet. But today, on the top of a mountain he's going to have an opportunity to deliver that message to Israel. And man, is the Lord going to help him with that delivery. The account starts at the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 18. God tells Elijah, I want you to go and present yourself to King Ahab because after three and a half years of drought, I'm going to bring the rains. And so Elijah goes and he presents himself to King Ahab. And what does Ahab do when he sees Elijah? Does he confess all of his sins to Elijah? No. You know the answer to that is no, right? Does he say, you're right, Elijah. Baal can't possibly be the one true God when he is the God of rain and the God of Israel has brought three and a half years of drought. I'm all wrong here. 
No, he does not. Does he show any respect whatsoever for Elijah and for God? Here is how he greets Elijah when Elijah presents himself. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, it is you, you troubler of Israel. Who, who does Ahab blame for the three and a half years of drought? He blames Elijah. Elijah, you pronounce this. This is your fault. You're the troubler of Israel here. Do you think Elijah is going to go ahead and take that blame? Uh, no, you're absolutely right. He does not. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Elijah says to Ahab, it's not my fault that God decided to bring discipline upon you. It's your fault because you chose to sin. In our lives, first as kids and then maybe as adults, we have a tendency when we undergo discipline to want to get mad at the person who is disciplining us rather than focusing on our own sin and our own fault. Anyone ever experienced that? When I was in the ninth grade, I was playing on our school's ninth grade basketball team and I broke one of the team's rules. And the coach implemented the discipline that he said he was going to implement at the beginning of the year and I missed an entire game. Well, you guys, I was so mad at him. I mean, I, I was talking to my friends about how terrible the coach was and talking to fellow team members about how terrible the coach was. And I made the, the grave mistake of talking to my dad about how terrible the coach was. And, and my dad reminded me, hey, the problem here isn't the coach who disciplined you the exact way he said he was going to at the beginning of the season if you broke this rule. The problem is you broke the rule. And, and in our lives... So often people get mad at God or mad at the circumstances that they're in instead of looking at their own life in order to say, is there anything in me that would bring about discipline from the Lord? Do I need to deal with that in my life? Elijah's not going to take the blame for this. He says, Ahab, it's you and Jezebel and you leading these people into the worship of Baal that is the real problem here. And so Elijah proposes a contest. He says to Ahab, bring all of Israel, everybody, and bring them all to the top of Mount Carmel. And we're going to have a contest up there on the top of Mount Carmel. Now, kids, I want you to pull out of your bag something that looks like this. Right? Can you find it in your bag? Did you already eat it? <laughs> right? What is it? It's a... Carmel, and it's meant to remind you of where this passage takes place. It takes place at the top of Mount Carmel, not Mount Caramel, right? Mount Carmel, which is just the name of the mountain. It is not a mountain made of Carmel, like it's in Candyland, right? It's, it's just the name of that mountain. So this will help you remember where this whole account takes place. And Elijah says, I want you to bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. Bring them all up on the mountain for this contest. And when everyone had gathered, all of Israel and all the prophets of the false gods, now Elijah finally has the chance to deliver the message that he has been waiting three and a half years to deliver. And we see it in verse 21. Look at this. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. 
Elijah says, how long are you going to continue to worship multiple gods? How long are you going to be double-minded in all of this? If God is God, then what? Worship him. If Baal is God, then worship him. But don't worship a little bit of each. There's only one true God here. Kids in your bags, do you have something like this? It says one God on it. I should have got a giant foam finger that said the same thing, right? Could have been pointing at you all service with the giant foam finger. That would have been so much fun. Right? This is a reminder of what Elijah is calling the people of Israel to. He says, there's only one true God. Stop worshiping multiple gods. Worship the one true God. And in order to find out who that is, he proposes a contest. By the way, when Elijah says this, what are the people's, what's the people's response? Nothing. Nothing, that's right. They don't say anything, do they? Can you believe it? This is the nation of Israel. What should they have all yelled when they heard Elijah said this? Everybody should have yelled in unison, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve Yahweh. But instead, they're silent and say, well, I don't know. Let's see what happens. Let's see which God will give us a better deal on security and comfort. We'll go with whichever God that is. So Elijah says, let's have a contest to figure this out. Let's both build an altar. Yes, this is supposed to be an altar. It may look like I stacked some old garbage bags up here <laughs> or I don't know, whatever. But that is supposed to be an altar. Let's make an altar. And we're both going to put an offering on top of that altar. And then we'll pray to our gods. And whichever God answers by fire and consumes the offering, that is the one true God. He says, let's settle this. I remember when my son was in the third grade, I would go to his school once a month as a part of this dads in school program. And when I would go out to recess with those third grade boys, they would stand around in a circle and they would argue about which one of them was the fastest. And the argument would just go on and on and on about who was the fastest. And finally I was like, guys, let's run a race and let's see who is the fastest. And they looked at me like, that is so novel. What? Run a race to determine who was fastest? So we ran a race and we determined who was the fastest. And that's what Elijah's saying here. We could stand around and argue about who the true God is all day. How about if we have a contest and determine once and for all who is the one true God? Let's figure it out, you guys. And all of the people answered, 1 Kings 18 said, it is well spoken. They didn't say anything when he challenged them to pick one God to worship. But here they're like, ooh, a contest. Yes, that's well spoken. Let's do that. Now, I would contend that the Israelites who were on that mountain that day would believe that Baal is at an advantage. Why would they think Baal's at an advantage? Because of the circumstances of this contest. There are 450 prophets of Baal. And how many prophets of the Lord? One. And where is this contest taking? Taking place. It's taking place on top of Mount Carmel, which is a high place. The worship of Baal and Asherah took place on the high places because it was believed by those who worshiped Baal and worshiped Asherah that if you got up there onto the high places, you were closer to Baal the bull who rode upon the clouds. And so they wanted to worship these gods on the high places. What did the God of Israel say? The God of Israel said, I want you to tear down all of the high places. 
Because I don't want to be worshipped like these pagan gods. I don't want you to think that because you climbed a mountain, you're now somehow closer to me. And so he repeats to Israel over and over again, tear down the high places. And so as Israel is gathered here at this high place, you have one God who says, yes, I love the high places. I want to be worshipped there. And another God who says, tear down the high places. Which one would be at an advantage? The people of Israel believe that this is an away game for the God of Israel because they are up on this high place. And so Elijah has the prophets of Baal cut up their bull. Kids, can you find a bull or a cow? I can't tell. I can't. Maybe you can. Um, in your packets. They cut up the bull. And so you can tell your parents how you think they cut it up. What portions got cut away from what? That's pleasant. And then they put the bull on the altar. And then we're told that the prophets of Baal called upon Baal to send fire upon the offering. They called upon him and called upon him, we're told, from morning until noon. 450 prophets. Think about that. 450 prophets all yelling out and crying to Baal. Think about how much noise that was to bring fire upon the altar. And by noon, nothing had happened. And so what does Elijah do at noon? He begins to mock Baal. He tells the prophets of Baal, hey, you guys, yell louder because certainly Baal is a god. Yell louder, I'm sure he'll hear you. He says, maybe Baal is meditating. Elijah says, maybe he's meditating. Maybe he's thinking about the theory of sending fire. And if you yell louder, he might actually do it. He says, maybe Baal is in the bathroom. And you're going to need to yell loud in order to get him out of the bathroom. He says, maybe Baal is on vacation. He's gone to the other side of the Mediterranean and he's hanging out on the French Riviera. You got to yell loud to get there. Or finally, he says, maybe, maybe Baal's asleep. Right, kids, do you have cotton in your bags? Can you find that piece of cotton? Elijah says, maybe, maybe he's got cotton stuffed in his ears so that he can have a good night's sleep and he won't have to hear you guys. Right? You, you have to ask your parents whether or not you're allowed to shove it in your ear. I asked my mom last night. She said it was okay. Right? Maybe, maybe he's asleep. I mean, three and a half years of not sending any rain, that's got to be exhausting. You guys got to yell loud. Maybe then he'll hear you. And so the prophets of Baal, we're told they step it up. They start yelling at the top of their lungs. They're getting frantic around the altar. We're told that they start to cut themselves with swords and razors in order to bleed because, come on, if we sacrifice to Baal, even of our own blood, certainly he will respond. But as the afternoon comes, there's no answer because Baal is not a true God. And so Elijah says, okay, guys, it's showtime. Here we go. And he has the people rebuild the altar of the Lord. They bring in 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel that is supposed to be a part of Israel. It's not right now, but that's supposed to be what Israel is made up of. So they build this with 12 stones. They put wood over the top. He cuts the bull up. He puts it on the altar. And then he has people go and get these large jugs of water. And they go and they fill up the water and they pour it all over the offering and all over the wood and the, and the stones. 
And then after they've filled up four of these and poured it all over, they go back and do it again and do it again. One might ask, it's been three and a half years of drought. Where are they getting the water? They're on top of a mountain. What's going on here? Right, well, if you look at Mount Carmel on your map, what you're going to see is that it is right next to the Mediterranean, a source of water that will not dry up in three and a half years of drought. And so they go and they, they get the water and they pour it on. Why? So that there's no doubt about what happens here. There's no gimmicks. There's no doubt about what is going to take place. And now Elijah prays. At the time of the offering of the oblation. Kids, what's the oblation? No? No kids are going to take that one? Adults, what? No, right? What, what is that? That's the evening sacrifice, right? It's time for the evening sacrifice. A fancy word for that. Elijah the prophet came near. And what does he say? O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Elijah says, God, show them who you are. Show them that you are the one true God. Show them that everything I've been saying about you is absolutely true. And will God answer? Right? Will God answer? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Will God do it? Yikes, yes. Right? It, it, pause for a moment. If you had to list a top 10 moments from the Bible you wish you were there for, doesn't this go on that list? Doesn't this go in that top 10 moments that you wish that you were present for? As Elijah calls out to God to show himself to be the one true God and fire falls from the sky and it not only consumes the offering, it consumes the wood, it consumes the stone and there is left there just a great big burnt crater in the ground as people feel the astounding amount of heat coming off of that fire from the sky. Wouldn't you want to have been there for this one? Right? It's absolutely amazing what God does here. Kids, can you find this piece of cellophane in your bags? This piece of cellophane is as close as we were going to get to giving you anything that had to do with fire or a way to make fire. Right Now, if you look through it, it looks like everything is on fire. But, but better yet, if you crinkle it a little bit, it sounds like the remains of a fire, right? That's cracking, crackling and popping. Can you hear it? Absolutely. You guys are going to do that throughout the rest of the message. That's great. <laughs> and what is the response of the people of Israel here? And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, Yahweh, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Elijah finally got to deliver the message that he has wanted to deliver for three and a half years. And when God shows up and does this mighty work, the people fall on their faces, we are told, and declare that the Lord is God. Isn't this what Elijah's been wanting? This entire time, this is what Elijah has wanted above everything else for the people of Israel to turn back to worship the one true God. Don't be double-minded. Fall on your faces before him and worship him.
And all I want you to get out of this account is one lesson. And that one lesson is this. Our God will win the battle. Right? Our God will win the battle. There are going to be times in life where it seems like what you are up against is overwhelming. There are going to be times in life where it seems like you are badly outgunned. And yet, if we stand in single-minded devotion, as Elijah did, with the one true God, we stand with the God who wins the battle. It looked like Elijah was outgunned on top of the mountain, didn't it? 450 prophets of Baal versus Elijah. The impossible task of bringing fire from heaven versus Elijah. But we recognize it wasn't 450 prophets of Baal versus Elijah, was it? It was 450 prophets of Baal versus God and Elijah. It wasn't Elijah versus the impossible task of bringing fire from the sky. It was God and Elijah versus the impossible task of bringing fire from the sky. And ultimately, our God is the one who wins those battles. When Moses walked into the court of Pharaoh, he walked into the court of the most powerful man in the world, with the most powerful army in the world, with more wealth than any other nation in the world, with hundreds of diviners and sorcerers around. He was so desperately outgunned as he brought that message, let God's people go. And yet, wasn't Moses against all of the power of the nation of Egypt, was it? It was God and Moses versus all of the power of the nation of Egypt. And ultimately, Pharaoh let God's people go. When David stepped out on that battlefield, it looked to everyone like a young boy was taking on a giant fully clad in warrior's armor. And yet David, with eyes of faith, could recognize this isn't David versus Goliath. This is God and David versus Goliath. And he says that the Lord will give the victory and deliver Goliath into our hands, which is exactly what happened. When Daniel got thrown in that lion's den, every betting person would have put their money on the lions and the lions to eat Daniel that evening. But it wasn't Daniel versus lions. It was God and Daniel versus lions. And Daniel walked out unscathed. When Mary Magdalene was going through her life, possessed by seven demons, we're told, Everyone would have said there is absolutely no hope for Mary in this situation. She has given herself over in some way so that now she is ruled by these malevolent spiritual beings. What hope is there possibly for her? And yet when Jesus shows up and interacts with Mary, it's no longer Mary against seven demons. It's God and Mary versus seven demons. And the seven demons flee from God Almighty. When it is you versus Satan and temptation. You appear to be badly outgunned. That there is something inside of you that wants to give in to that temptation. The world around you is telling you to give in to that temptation. And we are told that Satan and his forces are tempting you to give in to that temptation. You seem to be so badly outgunned in that situation. But we recognize that when we stand in single-minded devotion with God, it isn't us versus Satan and temptation. It is God in us versus Satan and temptation. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. In the battle of you versus death... This does not seem like a battle that you can win. 
as person after person passes away, as we put person after person into the ground, this seems like a foe that is too great for any of you. And yet, God says in 1 Corinthians 15 that through the work of Jesus Christ, sin and death have been defeated and we now can have new life in him because it isn't you versus death. It's God and you versus death when you stand in single-minded devotion with him. What, what do you face right now? Is there a particular temptation that continues to get the best of you? Is there a task that God has called you to where you say, I, I don't see how I can do that. Do you seem to be so badly outgunned? That's great. So was Elijah. So was Moses. So was David. So was Daniel. So was Mary. And yet, God says, when you stand with me in single-minded devotion, you stand with the God who wins the battles. Anyone in here want to stand in single-minded devotion with the God who wins the battles? Would you guys pray with me that that would be true of us as a people? Father, we come before you today and we pray for exactly that, that you'd be with us in all things, that we would stand with you in single-minded devotion, recognizing that when it comes to your kingdom, you're the one who wins the battles. You overcome temptation. You overcome addiction. You overcome sin and death so that we might have new and eternal life with you. And we're thankful for the chance that we have to walk in that. God, we thank you that you are the God who wins the battles. And now we sing your praises with all that we have, all of our heart and mind. In Jesus' name, amen.